Good morning, folks. Good morning. Hey, nice to see you here this morning. Thank you for coming out, and a, a happy new year to those of you that I haven't had a chance to, to see yet. I hope that you uh, had a good spell over the festives and a good uh, new year. This is... Uh, a twin uh, feast in the life of the church today. It's the Feast of the Epiphany, but it's also the Sunday that we think about uh, Jesus' baptism, and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, later on this morning. But we're going to begin our worship in the words of an Epiphany hymn, which is number 336, Christ is our light. Let's worship God together. take a moment to pray together now. Let's pray. Blessed life-giving God, your word brings all things into being. In creation, you harnessed energy, molded matter, cultivated life and crafted beauty. And your song was heard in love across the universe, a voice which still speaks to us this day. At Bethlehem, you spoke your word into human form. Christ, the incarnate one, born to show the depth of your care and concern for a world gone wrong, born to put those wrong things right. 
on the Jordan's bank, you spoke to your own son, voicing your pleasure in all that he was and sustaining him in all his work, in life, in death, and in resurrection. Good God, you still speak through our thoughts, our feelings, and our experiences, through the written word of Scripture and the shared word of those who have traveled this journey with us or before us. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts that are happy to obey. Show us how we can be people of living faith, fueled by your calling, enlivened to speak and to act and to live for you, our God. And help us embrace the way of self-giving love that you chose and that your baptism signifies. The way that chooses the little daily deaths of ego and self that help root us more deeply in you. Forgive us for the many times when we let you down by being half-hearted and apathetic in our faith, lukewarm in commitment, content with lesser things than the life that you offer. Forgive us, Lord, as we take a moment to reflect on our need of you in silence. Lord Jesus, you assure us that if we turn to God in humility, we will be heard. And that all who seek a new start in God's love can know his forgiveness. So help us receive those gifts of your grace. And live for you with all that we are. Following your way and your example. And praying together in the words that you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Two readings for you this morning. Uh, the first is from Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 3, reading verses 15 to 17, and 21 to 22, and then a short sonnet by Malcolm Gite that's called The Baptism of Christ. And Meg Duncan's going to read for this. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. 
the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was, was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And here's the sonnet. <clears throat> the Baptism of Christ. Beginning here we glimpse the three in one. The river runs, the clouds are torn apart. The Father speaks. The Spirit and the Son reveal to us the single loving heart that beats behind the being of all things and calls and keeps and kindles us to light. The dove descends. The Spirit soars and sings you are beloved, you are my delight. In that swift light and life as water spills and streams around the man like quickening rain, the voice that made the universe reveals the God in man who makes it new again. He calls us to, to step into that river, to die and rise and live and love forever. Amen. Thanks, Meg. Our next hymn is number 335, Out of the Flowing River.
Let's take a moment to pray. Let's pray. Father, we are here, whether in the flesh or virtually, and you are here. And that's all it takes, all of us being together, turning to you, knowing that you are here. And we pray that your spirit would move as we attend to your word this morning. Help us to hear what we most need to hear. For we ask it in Christ's name that we might live into our baptisms. Amen. It's New Year's Eve in New York. He's lying in his bed, munching cookies and watching television and trying to convince himself that he's all right with that, but he's not. He's churning away inside, and the churning won't stop. He's fallen out with an old friend. They were close for many, many years, and then almost by accident, they became more than friends, much more than friends. But it quickly went sour, and now after all those years of friendship, she's not even answering his calls Lying there alone on New Year's Eve, thinking about all of that, he has an epiphany. He gets up, pulls on some clothes, throws on a jacket, and starts running. Running through the streets of New York City to the fancy hotel where she knows she'll be seeing him the new year with friends, but will probably be as miserable as he is. And so he bursts through the doorway into the ballroom, looking totally out of place in his jeans and his sweatshirt, and their eyes meet across the dance floor. She's confused. She doesn't understand why he's there or how even she should feel that he's there. But he strides over to her purposefully through all the dancers, and he tells her what it is that he came all this way to say. And I'll tell you what that is at the end of the sermon. So last week, Jesus was a baby. In today's reading, he's a full-grown man. The joys of the lectionary's set readings. But there's good sense in getting us to think about our baptism, our commitment to Christ and his way at the start of a new year. Maybe you've never thought about it in this way, but Jesus, unlike anyone before or since, chose to be born. Nobody else has ever chosen to be born. The Divine Son consented to the plan that He, the Father, and the Spirit had for the redemption of humankind and the whole cosmos, and He took on flesh. And I could spend the rest of the sermon eulogizing about that and what it means and what it shows us about the nature and character of our God. But Malcolm Geit, in the sonnet that Meg read to us earlier, picks up on that idea when he says, The voice that made the universe reveals the God in man who makes it new again. 
Christ in his chosen flesh is making all things new. That's what this is about. But here in his baptism, we see the first inklings of the darker side of the story. Because not only did Christ choose life, he also chose death. Because his death is how the redemption he brings comes about. Jesus' death wasn't an unfortunate accident. He wasn't the unwilling victim of religious and political machinations. All four Gospels, and especially John, are clear that he set his face to Jerusalem knowing full well what awaited him there after three years of ministry. To the world, it looked like the tragic, awful death of a good man who had provoked the wrong people. It looked for all the world like a defeat. But in another register, the cross was his ultimate triumph. The completion of his work, doing what Adam could never do, and offering up to God in every way a perfectly loving and obedient human life. And in that way, as the early church understood it, and by that I mean the early church fathers, who are the people who gave us the doctrine of the two natures of Christ, the, the, the people who gave us the formulation of the doctrine of the Trinity, which isn't explicit in Scripture but was worked out, the people who formed together the canon of Scripture. As the early church understood it, Christ became our new Adam, and the good news of the gospel is that as surely as we've been caught up in Adam's sin, we will be caught up into the redemption that Christ, our new head, has won for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And that's what I believe Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5 when he writes these words. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass, Adam's sin, was condemnation for all men, so the result of one act of righteousness, Christ's self-offering, was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Or in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Or the Easter liturgy of St. John Chrysostom, which says, this is fourth century, which says, Christ has risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and on those in the tombs bestowing life. If those verses don't point to the, the hope for the ultimate redemption of humankind, not without the difficult pains of judgment, it must be said. I'm not sure what those verses mean. These and many other scriptures suggest that what Christ did, he did for all. And that the only question that remains is whether we will close with that gift and accept it because we know we need it, or whether we'll persist in leaving the Lord of life out of our lives because in our foolishness we think we don't need him. Now all of that in a 
roundabout way leads us back to the symbolism of baptism. We think of baptism as washing, and in part we're right to do so. But when you read the scriptures, baptism and death go hand in hand far more than baptism and cleansing. Romans 3 is typical of this. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you hear what Paul is saying? And Jesus is enacting in undergoing baptism. They're showing us that the way to life, life in all its fullness, is through a kind of death. A death to everything within us which is not of love. Selfishness, pride, misplaced desire, jealousy, hatred, gossip, prejudice, are delusions that we can manage fine without God in our lives because we're masters of our own destiny. Baptism inducts us into a way of life where day by day we choose to die to those things and those thoughts in order that we might find life. We die to them now. So that when the time comes to genuinely die, we can face death with confidence. Because throughout our lives, we've been quietly, determinedly detaching ourselves from everything that is not of love. We know our Savior. And we've willingly participated in his winnowing of us. Separating out the wheat from the chaff in our lives and helping us to get rid of what's worthless. Because that's the stuff that gets destroyed, gets refined out of us in the life to come, in the consuming fire of God's burning love. Isn't it better to get rid of as much of that as possible on this side of death than to take your chances on the other side? That's why those folk were lining up, waiting for John's baptism in their thousands. They'd look deeply enough into their own lives to know the truth that every 12-step program begins with, that we're powerless to help ourselves and we need a higher power to save us. The healing starts when our ego dies enough to acknowledge that. And not before. And that's why in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's memorable phrase, when Christ calls someone, he bids them, come and die. Come and die. Because it's these little deaths embraced in faith, chosen in love, that finally lead us into the life that Christ has won for us, both now and in eternity.
Harry and Sally, for those are their names, are deep in conversation on that dance floor at the New Year's party. The other revelers might as well not be there. They're completely engrossed in their conversation. He's told her about his epiphany. He's just realized after all these years of friendship that he loves her. But she's skeptical. She thinks he's only there because he's sad and he's lonely that's not good enough for her, and neither should it be. But then he fires off this wonderful list of little things that he loves about her, things that nobody else would know or notice, and that growing list of things that he's noticed melts her heart. And he ends his little speech to her with these words, and it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to begin as soon as possible. And no matter how many times I've seen that movie, and Rona and I watch it every Christmas, I never get tired of hearing Harry say those words. When the light goes on, when you have an epiphany that the God that we gather here to worship is the source of your life and the fulfillment of your life and the joy of your life and the light of your life, you want the rest of your life to begin as soon as possible. For over two millennia, baptism has been that start for the Christian. The following of Christ into the depths that we might rise with him into the fullness of life. Losing our lives in a way so that we might more truly find them. So today, if you're baptized, and if you're not, speak to me. Remember your baptism. And remember what it means that God is good, that God is for you, that God will guide you and lead you all the way home. But for now, it's up to you to participate with him in his work in your life. Dying all those little deaths that leave more room for his life to be carried within you. As Malcolm Geit puts it in the last few lines of his sonnet. The voice that made the universe reveals the God and man who makes it new again. He calls us too to step into that river, to die and rise and live and love. Ali's going to come now and lead us in our prayers for others. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we pray for everyone baptized in your name 
We pray that although many of us will not be able to recall our own baptism, we are familiar with its significance through our scripture, through your scripture and our witness to others being baptized and the oath we take for them to bring them up in your ways according to your teaching. We pray that we remember that baptism is a symbol of the rebirth of love and death of everything that brings a barrier between us and you, O Lord. Father, teach us to leave for dead selfishness, pride, jealousy, hatred, and desire for material things, all of which hinder us from being close to you. In these troubled and trying times, we realize that we cannot manage without you, that we are not in control of our own destiny. Help us to realize our fear, release our fears and worries and place them in your safe and loving hands so that we can find true life. Dear Lord, we take time now in a moment of silence to pray for those dear to us whom we carry in our hearts and minds today, the sick, the sad, the lonely, the worried, and the bereaved. We pray that they feel your presence and draw comfort from it. Dear Father, we also remember that only you know how long we have on this earthly life. Teach us to appreciate it and make, it, make the most of it by following your ways. We give thanks for our life here on earth and the prospect of eternal life with you in heaven. Amen. Thanks, Ali. We close our worship this morning in the words of hymn number 565, How Can I Keep From Singing?
now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.